it's really important to have that shift in perspective. You know you'll be exposed to so much more. It's like a learning experience and every droplet will feed your contribution to this growing company. And you'll see those contributions so much faster. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guest is Christine Chang. Christine, Carly, and I had the best time this morning getting to the studio. We did. I would love to drive a Porsche every day to the studio. (laughs) Carly got to pick us all up in a Porsche Macan. So thank you for that, Porsche. It was a great, great way to get into it. So Christine, she's the co-founder and co-CEO of Glow Recipe, the fruit forward and clinically effective brand. Their products sell out at Sephora and go viral on TikTok. You've probably seen videos of people trying their watermelon glow sleep mask or their avocado eye cream. But before launching their own product line, Christine and her co-founder, Sarah, were curating K-beauty products online after leaving their corporate jobs at L'Oreal behind. Today, we're going to get into Christine's journey as they went from the corporate world to starting her own business. Christine, we're so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I was so excited. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish. As per tradition, we start every podcast with a lightning round. Very tough questions. We wish you the best of luck. Are you ready? Ready. Christine, do you have any secret hobbies? Oh my God. Watching Netflix. But is that really secret? It's the shows I watch are kind What's of secret. What's the secret, Joe? Love is Blind. Thank you. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and that shouldn't be secret. I am all You're for right. it. You're right. I'll own it. I would also like to normalize that watching Netflix is a hobby. That's true. Right? That's exactly. True. Okay. First job that you've had or first job on your resume? I worked at a convenience store from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. near my house because I wanted to get some real life experience in high school. Wow. Those are tough hours in high school. It was really tough. I had to wake up at four. When is the last time that you negotiated for yourself? Ooh, probably yesterday. We were talking with a partner. I think it's just always giving context around the situation, asking for more respectfully. And if you don't get it, that's okay because no is okay. But what's the worst that can happen? Taking the fear out of the word no. Exactly. What drives you? My daughter. I really want to be a great example for her. And she's just changed me fundamentally as a person, my life, our family life. Are you an inbox zero type of person? I checked the other day and I have 45,000 unread emails from the beginning of Glow. I'm going to own it. (laughs) That pains me so So much. Okay, so you and I are like kindred spirits. I think I had like 200,000, like something (laughs) insane. But what you do is you delete it all because it's just like at this point. You just reset? reset like at this point like you didn't respond it was terrible that you didn't respond like let's move on yes and now you'll organize it better and then some are newsletters and things like that you just skip over sometimes well we don't never skip over the skin i only want to say let's let's re-say that let's re-say that (laughs) (laughs) christine if you could have a dinner party with any person living or dead from the skincare or beauty industry who would it be oh god Probably Estee Lauder. I think it's fascinating how she created the business she did. 
in the time she did. That's a good answer. If you were stranded on a desert island and all you could bring was one beauty product. Oh, SPF. Have to protect your face. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, fair. That's a very logical answer. Finish the sentence. What best describes your workday? Working nine till? I'll say midnight. But with breaks, long breaks in between. Okay. We are going to jump into your story. What is your first memory of beauty and skincare industry just being introduced to you? My mom. So every weekend, once we moved back to Korea, my mom, grandmother would all go to the bathhouse and they would put on all these things. So spoiled milk from the fridge because they were thrifty. You know, you can't use real milk. Splash it on the skin or tea steeped waters being splashed all over the body to kind of tone and reset the skin. And that created this lifelong fascination for ingredients and beauty rituals. I love that. It's It's a really good memory. Yeah. So you ultimately grow up and you work in the corporate beauty world for years and you move through the ranks at L'Oreal. So I think big corporations, there's a lot of like pros and cons. Mm -hmm. They can be hard to navigate. They can feel isolating. And then also on the pro side, you get access to amazing people at all different levels. How did you lean on mentors and women in your business? It's a great question. So L'Oreal had so many inspirational women working there. So there was a great group of mentors, friends, colleagues that I could always call and rely on for advice. Sarah was actually one of them. Sarah's your co-founder? Yes, Sarah's my co-founder. We met many, many years ago, a little scared to say the exact number, on my first day at L'Oreal as an intern. And she had been there for a few months and we've quickly bonded. And so friends ever since then, both in L'Oreal Korea and then as our careers moved over to L'Oreal US, we continued that friendship. I would say another mentor that I really appreciated at L'Oreal was Cheryl Vitali. She was a general manager of Kiehl's at the time. Now she's at L'Oreal Lux. And I always loved how she brought a sense of true respectfulness to every conversation, really listened and mentored younger team members. For somebody that is listening and and maybe works in a really big corporate company that feels really large to navigate and to get seen, how do you recommend they find a mentor? So for me, it was through organic networking, working together on projects. I did approach people though. I would just email them and be like, would you like to grab coffee? I love what you're doing with XXX. And get specific about the fact that I knew what projects they were working on, what achievements they had, and then try to bring something to the conversation that would also benefit them as well. So that's always kind of an equal playing field that way. How did you stay in touch with those mentors? So I am not the greatest at staying in touch because (laughs) I'm actually really introverted. I call myself an extroverted introvert. But even from like that first meeting where somebody was willing to have coffee with you, how did you figure out how to turn that into like an ongoing relationship where you stayed in touch with somebody as they were your mentor? Because I think that's what some of what we hear from our audience is one, like, how do I ask somebody, you know, informationally to spend time with me? And then two, like, how do I stay in touch so that I'm not annoying, but I'm still on their radar and that I can go to them? So for me, it's always thinking about how can I be helpful to them versus what I can get from my mentor. And so if I see an industry article that's really pertinent to what they're working on or their field, I would forward it to them with a little note. If I see them featured somewhere, forward them again with a little note congratulating them. And I think those little gestures mean the most when you don't want something from someone versus when you do. 
I really like how you said that. And I actually had realized, especially over the pandemic, I had just completely fallen off the radar with some of my early mentors. Mm -hmm. And so I called them and I was just like, hey, just wanted to say thank you. I really love that advice. So let's talk about you and Sarah, your co-founder. When did you guys realize it was like your great coworkers, your friends, you respect each other, you like hanging out to, oh, hey, we actually want to start a business together? So Sarah and I actually never worked at the same brands together. We were at the same umbrella company, but working in different divisions. When we'd meet after work to sheet mask together and drink wine. Sheet mask and wine. Sheet mask and wine. We just did the wine. We just did the wine. (laughs) Equally beneficial. We realized we just had so much in common in terms of our values, our working styles, our work ethic. So similar to how we've described it to you. Oh, I love that. That's great. And I think it's so important to have that foundation of friendship before working with someone because those shared values really carry you through the tough times. I want to ask you about that because I'm sure you get this question too. People ask all the time, you know, what's it like working with a friend? And I want to start a business with my friend. And our advice is always like, you shouldn't. Like you, like we're very pro co-founder, but yes. also be careful working with friends. Like oh, we absolutely. feel like we're an exception. I think you and Sarah are an exception, yeah. but it's really hard to find those exceptions. So I'm curious, what do you say when people ask you that? I say it's like a marriage where in the beginning, even if you're close friends, there's going to be that process of setting ground rules with each other and boundaries and discovering each other in new ways because you've never worked in this setting together. So as long as that process is very clear and transparent, I think it can be the foundation of a really amazing thing. I totally understand why you're saying the friendship thing can be tricky too, because a lot of emotions are involved and there's sometimes emotional baggage that can get in the way of decision-making. Do you think you could have done this with someone that you weren't friends with first? Honestly, for me, I don't think so. I'm curious about you guys. What do you think? I've never thought about it. I've never thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, the the thing that's most important to me is trust. Mm -hmm. And so I think it just would have taken a long, longer time to build a foundation of trust with somebody if I didn't have the context before. Yeah. Not to say that it like wouldn't be possible. It would just be different and it probably would have taken longer. I 100% agree. I think that as we've both grown up, it's so interesting to think about it now. Like, could you start something with someone else? And I think Maybe yes, but also what we've been talking about too is the mental weight. Yes. Is the biggest part of that equation. So I feel like that is where having that relationship with someone that you've known, that you've known in different stages of your life, who you trust, so that when things are insane and bad or great, you have someone there who just like has your back or experiences the same thing. You don't have to explain it. It's so true. Entrepreneurship can be incredibly lonely. And I, I can't imagine doing this without someone understanding that. What's an example of when you felt like Sarah was the only one who understood how hard something was? In the early days when things were falling through sometimes, like a contract wouldn't work out or some type of product was being ordered, but it wasn't coming on time. So we're missing a deadline and we're just trying to figure things out operationally. The weight of that can feel like sometimes you're just buckling down under it. But to have someone in your corner to be like, you know, it's okay, we'll get through this. And I say that to her as well. And that mental support has really taken us far. I want to talk about transitioning from L'Oreal, not a small company, Mm -hmm. to 
starting with ERA and really getting it off the ground, what were the lessons that you think were advantageous to you from coming from a large company? So at L'Oreal, you get so much training, which was incredible in terms of management experience, international local market expertise, skincare training. So we had a decade of that each under our belt when we started this, and it was immeasurably helpful. What we didn't really know about was the accounting and the finance and the legal side and all these things we were kind of shielded from because our day-to-day jobs were focused on marketing and product development. So that was a rude awakening and definitely a learning curve. And we made a lot of mistakes along the way. Is there a mistake you look back now and you're like, oh my God, what was wrong with us? Yes, definitely. Yes. Like in the early days, not understanding basic things about like logistics or not understanding when to use a lawyer versus when to have ourselves kind of handle things, you know, that type of thing. What's some advice you would give to someone who's looking to go from a large environment to a smaller startup? I think it's really important to have that shift in perspective where you know you'll be exposed to so much more, but you just kind of have to drink it up. It's like a learning experience and every droplet will feed your eventual contribution to this growing company. And you'll see those contributions so much faster. For someone coming from a larger corporate environment to a startup, it'll be so rewarding because that red tape, that corporate hierarchy, that environment will be so different. And so if you're someone that's going to enjoy that, all the kind of growing pains that come with it will be rewarding and worth it. You guys went on Shark Tank. I've been waiting to talk to you about that. (laughs) I've been waiting. And you ended up turning down an investment. I want to, let's just rewind here. You went on Shark Tank. Yes. Who offered you a deal? We got three offers, Mr. Wonderful, Barbara, and Robert Herjavec. And we took Robert's offer on the show, shook hands. What was the offer? I think it was $425,000 for 25% of our business. And at this time, how far along were you guys? We were projecting to do a million by the end of that year. Okay. And so very early stages of our business within a year of starting. Didn't realize this would even happen because we were standing in line in a cold April day in the open casting call line in front of ABC Studios one minute. And then a couple months later, we're suddenly in Culver City filming for this. So it was a surreal experience. And it was such a learning experience because like, when do you have so many accomplished business people just dissect your business for hours? And we came out of it with so much. But at the end of the day, we wanted to find a strategic partner. We didn't really need the money because we were profitable very early on and very scrappy. And I think with Robert's team, we eventually amicably parted ways. So we never actually took that investment. Most people think we do. So there's a lot in there that I want to kind of unpack for a second. So first of all, you said this was about a year in, you were already doing million and you were profitable. Yes. Who was buying your products? How did they even know about it in the beginning? So there was this long process of cold calling editors because we knew we had to be in beauty press. We had zero awareness. So Sarah and I divided up a list of several hundred editors, influencers, editorial outlets, everything. And then customized pitches for every single person and sent it out over the course of, I would say, probably a week of no sleep and just pitching. And then you just got picked up? from, And we got picked up by first Fashionista and then Refinery29. And then we were packing boxes that night, overnight. 
So you get the offer for Shark Tank uh, and you get, sorry, you get the deal, not just to be on the show. What goes through your head when you ultimately decide like, this is so cool, but actually not the right deal for us? There's a moment on Shark Tank where we're conferring to each other in Korean because we didn't want the sharks <laughs> to understand what we were saying. I love that. <laughs> and we're like, should we? Should we? <laughs> so I think there was still at that moment an element of not being sure. But we wanted to take the deal because we thought it was so exciting. And then later, as we were evolving and growing, we realized it, it wasn't the right course of action for us. But we're still so grateful for having been on the show. So even getting like three offers yes. says something not just about the quality of your business, but also the quality of your pitch. What is your advice for, for those listening on how to pitch either themselves or their ideas? For us, beauty is so saturated. And that was said on the show too. And the point of difference has to be so crystal clear for anyone listening to your pitch. Like, why are you different than the other thousands of beauty brands out there? And what added value are you giving your customer? And that had to be crystal clear and concise and delivered under a minute. How did you get better at it? Shark Tank was a lot of practice. We basically holed up in a room together and just practiced nonstop. And it helped us sharpen our business plan and our ideas too. That's why I really think the, the process was immeasurably valuable. So Glow Recipe has gone viral on TikTok. <laughs> Do you guys sell out products like crazy? How have you taken these organic endorsements for your products and turned it into actual growth? With TikTok, which is, by the way, my favorite platform, I cannot get enough of it. It's such a creative environment. And a lot of the beauty creators that are on there were creators that sometimes had a presence on Instagram, but also very new creators that weren't on Instagram. And TikTok was really their first big platform. And so we were lucky to have been able to cultivate some of those relationships very early on, reaching out, seeding organically. And then we also recognize that with creators, it's a balance between, yes, that relationship building and the organic seeding, but also understanding how to partner with them as your relationship with them evolves. So an example being with Michaela Noguerra, she's an amazing TikToker who has these great beauty videos. And she covered our dewdrops completely organically. She had actually a video that she showed us of her buying her first Glow Recipe product back in 2019 on her phone. And after this went viral, dewdrops was sold out everywhere for weeks. We sold out 17 times, I think, after that. Couldn't keep it in stock. And we then decided to work with Michaela in a bigger capacity. So then we partnered with her on a, on a kit. And then actually, as of this month, we are releasing a limited edition collaboration kit with her. So that was really about evolving and kind of maturing the partnership together. I think one question that a lot of companies in general face is when there's a new platform, how quickly do you jump to it or invest in it? How do you think about that, given that the virality on social has been now a huge part of your growth? Yeah. How do you think about upcoming platforms or you know, how to double down on one over another? So we have a very digitally savvy team, very digitally native, and they have an incredible pulse on things. So if they tell us that they feel like a certain platform has traction or they themselves are getting actual value from the platform, we go all in. And TikTok was an example of that. We were on the platform very early on. We all personally enjoyed using it. And that's when you kind of know. One thing I think is interesting about Glow Recipe is that you guys manufacture in the U.S. 
and also I feel like are put into a K beauty category. Mm -hmm. How do you guys think about it? So love that question because a lot of people I think say, oh, Glow Recipe is a K beauty brand. And I get it because we started off with K beauty curations that were naturally focused in the very beginning because when we started this business eight years ago, skincare was not really something that was enjoyed. It was more of a chore. It wasn't really even talked about on social media. And I feel like K-Beauty is a big part of that wave in skincare that made skincare visual and fun. And it exploded on social media and it became really that dialogue and that shared experience. And hopefully we can say we were a little bit of a part of that too, because we created so much educational content around how to enjoy your routine, how to apply your products. What products should you be using for which concerns and that holistic approach. And that philosophy very much continues with Glow Recipe Skincare, which is the fruit forward brand that you see at Sephora today. So those early memories of that holistic approach to skincare will always inform and inspire. But we are a New York-based beauty brand. You guys took on external investment for the first time last year. How'd you make that decision? So we took on investment much later than a typical beauty brand in its life cycle. And the reason for that was we really wanted to hold out for the right partner. At no point did we really need the capital, which I think we were incredibly lucky to be in that position. We worked very hard to be in that position. So we were looking for the right partner and that took a a long time. We were looking for someone who would be truly strategic with us, understand our long-term goals for the company, and also give us that freedom to really be invested and operate the business in our own terms. Who did you take on? We work with North Castle Partners. And what's the goal? Like, what's next? So with that capital infusion, the goal was to hire more talent. We're still a growing team. I think we're just around 40 right now. And also think about what does international expansion look like? What does our larger product portfolio look like. And then in terms of distribution, we're in the US, obviously. We're in Australia and a few other markets, and we've been getting so many requests. So we want to be thoughtful about how we approach that. And now we have kind of the resources to do that. We have a listener question that I actually just absolutely love. Um, This is from (laughs) Amy. What's a habit or work hack that you learned in your corporate days and still use today? So inbox zero used to be my method at L'Oreal. <laughs> we know that's not working. <laughs> not working anymore. Um, I actually have to think about this. You've talked a lot because, you know, we spent the morning together driving, commuting, <laughs> about how you work backwards from your why. Yeah. That seems like something we've picked up in managing a large team that you have to do that. But is that something you got from corporate culture? Absolutely. Because I think corporate culture is the same where you can get mired in the small details very quickly and the emails and the constant rush of meetings. And then it's 6 p.m. and you haven't done the things you needed to do that day. So I think starting with your why, your long-term goals and purpose is always a really great exercise to kind of clear the slate, reset the compass and know exactly where you're going that day. Last question. Who's someone else we should have on the show? Really great question. Probably my co-founder, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. (laughs) We should do like a a co-founder lightning round. Would love that. Christine, congratulations. What you built is amazing. And to have done that with 40 people is extraordinary. So thanks for riding with us in our Porsche this morning. Oh, so excited to be here. And thank you for today. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. 
A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with the Skim, where each week we're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday.